If I could ask you, Christine, to give one advice to a CEO who is just realizing that something needs to change in the organization, where should they start? Become aware of what you're feeling. Use the emotion wheel. Become um, able to shift your emotional state. Use maneuvers of consciousness. And then help others become aware of how they feel and choose their emotional state as well. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today it is my absolute great pleasure to be joined by Christine Comerford, who is joining us by Skype from San Francisco. Hi, Christine. Hi, Agnes. Thank you for having me here today. I'm super thrilled um, to have you here. And even though this is an audio podcast, I can tell listeners that I'm holding your book in my hands, Power Your Tribe. Create Resilient Teams in Turbulent Times. And as I'm also a change management um, geek, I think we're going to have a (laughs) wonderful conversation. Before we get to the book, I would like to um, introduce you very briefly. So you have some very high profile people calling you super high bandwidth. This is Bill Gates and Bill Clinton. Thank you for fostering American entrepreneurship. Uh, Christine, you're for more than 30 years a leadership and workplace agility expert, a serial entrepreneur, a New York Best Times best-selling author. And so you work with companies, you're at the core face of uh, organizational change, organizational flexibility and productivity. So I'm very keen to learn really some of your experience and I'm sure the listeners are as well. So before we go on, uh, may I ask Christine to... Tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your your journey, and, and what drives you. Yes, certainly. Um, I actually started my quest trying to understand human behavior when I was 15 years old. So it's been uh, 41 years <laughs> that I've been studying human behavior and creating tools and gathering tools and helping people change their behavior or get the behavior that they want from themselves and others. And um, I think human beings are, each human being is like an elegant universe. And um, as they start to understand how resilient they actually are by using some of the tools that we're going to learn today, they start to see life in an entirely different way. So that's what drives me and gets me up in the morning. Um, And as I started gathering all these tools from 15 years old onward, going to seminars and having a fake ID so people thought I was older so they would let me into the seminars, (laughs) Um, what I found was that um, people started chasing me down because I started building these great companies and selling them or taking them public. And people started saying, well, you know, what tools are you using? We want to use those tools too, which led to my writing some books and retiring and then coming out of retirement. And um, basically... um, People don't realize how amazing they are. And the number one challenge that we all have is just trying to get on each other's maps because we each have a different map of our world. So the tools we're going to learn today are going to help you step onto the map 
of somebody else to understand what their world is like and, and to communicate with them in their language, and then also to have more compassion for what their experience might be like, because we're all in our own little world, and we often make meaning about somebody else's experience that isn't accurate. So that's where we're going to go today, and I've built a bunch of companies, I've sold them and taken them public, and now I just want to help everybody build their own amazing companies. Wow, there's already so much in what you just said that I would like to really unpack, but I will <laughs> need to keep focused and and um, maybe going forward. Why did you decide? I mean, you've been doing uh, business yourself and, and creating and running your companies and also coaching others. What was it that made you want to go and research it even further into neuroscience and then translating that into organizations. I mean, there's already so many management disciplines, but, but what was it that you thought there's a missing piece here and I need to understand and I need to explain to people so they understand? Yes. Okay, good, good. Great question. So, so here's the thing, and I know everybody listening has had this experience. The, the world is moving faster than ever, right? Things are changing faster than ever. The only certainty at all is change. We're seeing, you know, natural disasters. We're seeing random acts of violence. I mean, we're just in a more stressful world than ever before. And as I started to notice this and started to see the world changing about 10 years ago, I said, you know what? We need some new tools. All the tools that people are using aren't cutting it. So um, I started diving really deeply into neuroscience and neurolinguistics. Neurolinguistics, Agnes, because language structures reality. So I feel we have to combine neurolinguistics with what we learn about the brain because the neurolinguistics help us then apply what we learn about the brain, use the right words, use the right language structures to help people shift their reality. So I find that blend is the secret sauce. We add neurolinguistics, neuroscience, and then the third piece I should, I should explain is having that business experience. We're not PhDs. We're not researchers in an ivory tower. Everybody in our company is an operational business builder. We've had to hire people, to fire people. We've had profit and loss responsibility. So we're all very grounded, if you will. Mm, absolutely. And so on that, you have uh, recently written a number of books, and one of them is Power Your Tribe, which we're going to unpack a little bit. Before we, we start, uh, you know, you, you mentioned now already the premise of constant change, and, and also that's where... That's kind of the jumping off point of the book as well. Um, in your experience, how do organizations typically react to change? What is the kind of knee-jerk reaction they do? Because I, I would also, in my experience, think that they're caught up in it and then it creates stress and, and anguish and maybe loss of productivity or profits. But they may not necessarily notice. So what are those typical reactions as a kind of first diagnosis that, okay, these people are reacting to change? Yes, thank you. So seeing people get stuck, seeing them solve problems that don't exist, um, seeing them, yeah, seeing them focus on problems that are low value, you know, where missing kind of the priorities, having everything urgent. If everything's urgent, then nothing is important. Um, avoiding conflict or blowing up, right? Using blame versus taking responsibility. So I see that when these things start to show up, it's because people are struggling with navigating change. 
And, you know, the first thing we usually do with change is we resist it. And resistance is, as the Borg say, right, resistance is futile <laughs> if you're a Star Trek fan. But here's the problem with resistance. It takes a tremendous amount of energy. Um, people think the opposite of resistance is acceptance. And they're like, but I can't accept this. This is unacceptable. I agree. Sometimes things are blatantly unacceptable. However, the opposite of resistance is not acceptance. The opposite of resistance is consent. Check this out. So there's all this change happening. It's super stressful. If we can just go, wow, we grab our tool, the emotion wheel, which we'll be happy to provide if you have a website, Agnes, and you want to put some visuals up there. We grab our emotion wheel and we say, how am I feeling? Wow, I'm really frustrated. Okay, I'm frustrated and I'm overwhelmed and I'm angry. Okay, great. So we then consent, meaning we get present with. We stop resisting what's happening and we say, wow, I'm frustrated, overwhelmed, and angry. Huh. Okay. And we just be there for a second, not trying to smush our emotions, just acknowledging them. And then we use a tool called the outcome frame and we say, well, what would I like? And I want to go down two paths. We either go down the outcome frame path or if we're super, super triggered and we actually can't look at what we would like yet, we'll use a tool called Maneuvers of Consciousness. Is it okay if I step through each one briefly? Yeah, I mean, before we do that, because this was in my, in my list of, on my list of questions, but before we do that, I, there was something I wanted to ask you because, you know, I, I read the book and, and, I, and this emotional wheel was really something that caught my eye and I was just wondering in your experience how do leaders managers men feel about discussing <laughs> their emotions at, at work because I, I can see myself do this exercise and I can see a lot of younger people do this exercise but but I was wondering about maybe the generation that wasn't growing up in you know the touchy-feely sherry kind of, you know, when they adopted strategies that was very masculine, very closed off. So, so how do you get people to talk about their emotions or even recognize what it is? Okay, great, great, great question. Okay, a couple of things. For starters, um, only 36%, this is from Travis Bradbury, only 36% of us at a given time actually know what we're feeling. Um, I feel I'm okay. I'm fine. Those are not emotions, right? I'm happy. <laughs> I'm peaceful, right? So this is why we love the emotion wheel because it helps people name where they are. Second, it's really important to realize, thanks to UCLA, Carnegie Mellon, Stanford, Harvard, NYU, Columbia, MIT, that 90%, 90% of our, of our uh, decisions, of our behaviors are driven, are dominated by our emotional brain, 90%. So even though we'd like to think that we're super rational people, that's only 10% of what's guiding our decisions and our behavior. So once we get present to that and we go, wow, I've got this emotional brain that's driving 90% of my decisions and behaviors, maybe I should actually get to know it. And when we talk about emotional intelligence, most people say, well, I want to be emotionally intelligent, but I don't know how. Step one is actually being that, having that self-awareness being able to name what emotion you're actually currently experiencing. So we say, hey, step one to emotional intelligence, guys, is to grab your emotion wheel and check in and find out what's happening with you. Because your emotional state is determining the meaning that you're making about whatever is happening about in your world. 
And that's determining your behavior and your belief system. It's all connected. So if we see somebody and they look kind of grumpy and then we feel stressed and then we decide they're disappointed with us and then we tell ourselves, wow, he's never happy with my work. Maybe I'll just do mediocre work and start looking for a new job. Okay. That's all stuff you just made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We, and we just, do it so yeah, often. Yeah. All the time. We, we are meaning making machines. So we find that when we explain emotional intelligence, now step one is to actually get present with yourself. People then go, okay, well, it feels a little weird, but I'll try it. Um, But we have to know that starting point before we can do a a process like maneuver subconsciousness or outcome frame. Before we can use these tools to become resilient, we have to get with the consent, get present to where we are. And just as a way of clarification, when you, in your introduction, was, were, you know, explaining about neurolinguistics, is this what it's about, that you can formulate in language what's going on inside? Ah, thank you. We can use language to help a person make new meaning. So this kind of interpretation of my boss hates me and I did this and then, so it's, it's really to to make the new meaning that will help us and not one that is going to destroy us. That will help us feel better. The human being will always reach for the best feeling emotion available on the menu in a given context. So just think about performance reviews, right? In a performance review, a person probably doesn't have a lot of emotional flexibility and resilience. They probably have just a few choices, right? You know, be disappointed, be scared, you know, et cetera. They don't have that many choices. So that's their menu of choices in the context called performance review is relatively limited. As leaders, it is our opportunity for the people that choose to become resilient, because some people will have a fixed mindset and want to be rigid, but for those that actually want to feel better, is to help us use these tools or help them use these tools so they can add more choices to their menu, so they can have more emotional agility, and no matter what's happening outside, they can choose how they want to feel inside. Yeah, let, let's go this. Let's go in this direction now because. I was absolutely fascinated with this because I, like all the listeners, I guess, have experienced toxic colleagues who (laughs) come in and then they radiate some, you know, something really awful onto the colleagues and just ruin everyone's day. And it's so difficult to believe or understand that they're choosing, right? They're choosing this emotion to be in this emotional state yeah they're choosing that emotional state based on the meaning that they're making about their world so um can i can i walk through maneuvers of consciousness for a sec because it's it's a way to okay good good so let's just so everybody think of something that you're resisting think of something that you're resisting it's the toxic colleague right it's whatever pick something that you are like not okay with okay And now we're going to go through four steps. When you use this on your own, everybody, be sure to have your phone nearby and set a timer. You want to set a timer. Ideally, you're going to do it with a buddy. The buddy is just going to be still and listen. But when you say it to somebody else, you say it out loud, it's a little bit more powerful. So first, the first step of maneuvers of consciousness is 
first we think about, you know, what is it that we're resisting? And now we do three minutes of negative evaluation, which means you say, I don't like this. It's not fair. This is why I'm resisting this situation. It's super painful. It's painful in this way. You just negatively evaluate. Let all the negativity come out for three minutes and keep going. <laughs> you need to get through the three minutes. Purge it out. We're good at this, I think. I think we're quite good at this. <laughs> Thank you, Agnes. The problem is we don't go on to the other steps, right? <laughs> so we do, yeah. we, we do three minutes, <laughs> exactly. timer up, beep, beep, beep. We look at the emotional wheel and we go, okay, you know, whatever, angry, hopeless, frustrated. Okay, just jot down how you're feeling. Then you've got to break your state. Shake your body out. Count from 10 down to 1. Numbers are good for breaking the emotional state. You have to move around a little bit. Then set your timer again. Three more minutes. And now we're going to go into curiosity. Gosh, I'm curious about this situation with this, let's just say, toxic colleague is our example. Um, I wonder how it came to be. I wonder why I have resisted it. Um, I wonder um, what makes this person so angry. I wonder why my buttons are pushed by this person. And we just get really curious. We just get real, like an anthropologist, kind of looking through, uh, looking at a new culture and just being kind of fascinated and curious. So we're really curious. Good. Three minutes, beep, beep, beep. Look at the emotional wheel. Huh, now I'm feeling kind of inquisitive and maybe I'm feeling curious. You know, we, we list the emotions noticing later, right, that, that we're moving to a, a more comfortable emotional state. Then shake our body out, right? What's your, uh, what's your favorite number uh, today? I don't know, seven, right? We do a non-sequitur question. And now we go three more minutes. And now we're on amazement. Wow, I'm kind of amazed by this situation. I'm amazed that, that this person can even function with all that anger and hatred. Um, I'm amazed that um, I let something like this upset me in the past. Just all the things that you're amazed about. I'm kind of amazed about um, what this person maybe is hoping to achieve. So get really amazed and then beep, 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 check your emotional state. Okay, now I'm feeling, um, you know, insightful and peaceful, etc. Then shake your body out. We're almost done. Um, another non sequitur question. What did you have for breakfast? Okay. And then we go to the fourth and final stage, which is full appreciation. Set the timer for three more minutes. Wow, I wonder, like, what great stuff is coming from this? What am I learning from this? How am I growing from this? And we start to just kind of list all the things we can really appreciate about this thing that we were resisting. Go, 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 go. Three minutes, beep, beep, beep. And then we look at the emotion wheel. Let's just say maybe it's peaceful and powerful, you know. And then um, we shake our body out and we notice the journey we just went on, right? In 12 minutes, we went from angry, frustrated, whatever, hopeless, all the way to peaceful and powerful. That's how resilient human beings are. It's quite remarkable. And then we get to see that we've had all these stories around this. So maneuvers of consciousness, I want to stress, can also be done in a group. It can be done in a group. You can do it if there's a group frustration that you guys all have or a group thing that you're resisting. It's absolutely fascinating. So that's one of the tools that I love, and it's Empower Your Tribe, and we find it's really helpful for people. Mm, absolutely amazing. And now would you like to maybe share a little bit about the outcome frame as well, how that works? Yes. So once we're in, I like to use these two tools together. Once we're done and we've completed maneuvers of consciousness and we're feeling like that full appreciation, it's a great time now to then switch to, okay, 
what would I like? Okay, I would like to be peaceful inside, regardless of what's happening outside, or I would like to be able to interact with X toxic person without being affected. So then we use a tool called the outcome frame, which is simply a series of questions. What would you like? Something you can create and maintain, not for a toxic person to get fired. Okay, something you can create and maintain. <laughs> what would you like? I would like to be peaceful inside, regardless of what's happening outside, whatever. What will having that do for you? How will you feel? Well, I'll feel peaceful. I'll feel happy. I'll feel proud of myself. Um, I'll feel powerful. Um, what are the benefits, right? So what would you like? What will having that do for you? Have, what, what would having that do for you is about benefits and how you'll feel. Um, and then third, how will you know when you have it? Well, when he rages in meetings, I won't get kind of hot and bothered. I will, when he rages in meetings, I'll just, I'll feel compassion for him and I'll be able to shift the state of the group. Um, you know, how else will you know that you have it? So you get all the evidence of how you're going to know when you have it. Then you ask yourself, what of value might I risk or lose? Because I might not be able to feel like the victim anymore. Oh, shucks, right? That's the ego question. So when we know what we might risk or lose, that helps us understand why we aren't, uh, we don't have that outcome yet. So what would you like? What, why we've been holding on to it. Yeah, why exactly. we've been holding on to it. We, we, it's the ego question, right? What a value might you risk or lose? Oh, shucks. I might not be able to blame him for all the bad st stuff that's happening in my life. <laughs> You're going to lose that if you become powerful. Um, And then, of course, when, where, with whom would you like it? Well, I just want it at work, and I want it in my interactions with such and such person. And then what are your next steps? So just to recap, what would you like? What will having that do for you, meaning benefits, how you'll feel? Third is how will you know when you have it? What proof is going to show up? Be very specific. Number four, um, what of value might you risk or lose? What side effects may occur? That's the ego question. Number five, when, where, with whom would you like it? So we get a context. And then number six, what are your next steps? When we start to do this outcome frame, we then bring it into reality. And I like to do an outcome frame for 15 minutes. And I know it sounds like a long time. But when we do 15 minutes, we actually get enough visual, auditory, kinesthetic cues where our subconscious mind realizes we can actually have it. So... Mm -hmm. As we are walking through that future, right, we might even at the end make a picture up and to the right of us navigating the interactions with that person and doing it beautifully. When we get the pictures, when we get the words, when we get the feelings of having that outcome, it makes it more real for us. It takes it from fantasy into, hey, this is a possible future that I can actually create. Fantastic. Now, what is your experience Do people, do, do they show resistance? Um, do they embrace this in an organizational context? Because just to give you an example, for example, in, in Belgium, where we are based, and in, I know this may be also some, you know, relevant to other European countries, uh, where there is a lot of uh, burnout, for example, organizations deploy coaching and, and people do a lot of coaching sessions. And then then they end up becoming a, you know, self-employed because they don't want to go back to the, the workplace that made them sick. And, and, you know, because through the coaching, they get a real self-awareness. They, I think also when you 
probably you must have the same experience that when you go through these exercises, you respect yourself more, you respect your energy, you are not willing to compromise and, and you know, be in surroundings where this is where this is compromised, where you need to make extra efforts, you want to have much more control over how you feel, how you produce, how you perform. And I just wanted to ask you about, so you go in to organizations and do this. First of all, my question was, you know, is there still resistance to do this introspection, maybe for people who have been closed off to this? And second, and that's the second part of my question, how does this work in group dynamics? when you try to take the entire team with you to this next level of consciousness? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, I think you predicted it already. <laughs> <laughs> and that some of the people are like, this is awesome, you know, and they go through maneuvers of consciousness and they, they, they notice, right, how powerfully their emotional state shifted in a mere 12 minutes. Others are like, this is stupid, right? So we get some resistance for sure. Um, so I always notice, here's the organizational change path that I notice when an organization is going through change. Um, there's resistance, then there's often mockery. And I love it when people mock our tools because to me, that means that they actually have some emotional engagement with them, right? If they're apathetic and they're just like, yeah, whatever, and they're not doing anything, that's harder. You have to kind of poke them with a stick, you know? Yeah, but they're it, already disconnected in a way. Exactly. Yeah. But mockery, they're actually bothering, right, to criticize the tools. Great. So I say, well, what is lame about, well, this tool is lame or stupid. Okay, what's lame or stupid about it? Well, blah, blah, blah. Well, if it were a little bit less lame or stupid, would you try it? Well, it's so lame or stupid. Yeah, well, if we just if if we just try this one aspect of it to see to test the lameness of it, would you try it? Okay, we loop through mockery, mockery and usefulness, mockery and usefulness, and then very quickly they find, wow, I'm actually feeling better, and then they go from usefulness to habitual to a new standard. So leaders get psyched out sometimes when people mock. I think when people mock, it's awesome. You know, so we just have to, again, be emotionally agile and navigate through that. So we can say, well, what would a person like you do in maneuvers of consciousness if they really need to dissociate, you know, and try the tool that way? So um, we will find some people will resist. They'll go through this tool. They'll go through a series of tools in a day-long workshop with us. They'll always find that a handful of them are useful. They will reject some. That's okay but they'll embrace mm -hmm. others. So it's a beginning. It's a beginning and it's an opening. And we find that often, as we, we often do four standard workshops, neuroscience of leadership, neuroscience of influence, neuroscience of navigating change, neuroscience of optimal teams. We do them in generally whatever order the client needs. And we just find people opening and their performance improving and their communication improving and their compassion improving and their self-awareness improving. Because once we have greater self-awareness, we can also then have greater self-regulation. And regulation, emotional regulation is, well, I'm really angry right now. Maybe I won't send that flame email, right? So emotion wheel helps us become emotionally aware. And then maneuvers of consciousness act, actually is one of the tools, same with outcome frame, that help us actually regulate our emotional state, shift our emotional state. Then we can use those tools with others and help them as well. Mm, fantastic. 
really, really fascinating. And, and I think that we could go on for a lot longer. However, <laughs> ti time is unfortunately against us here on the podcast. So I, uh, again, just uh, recall to listeners, the book is called Power Your Tribe, Create Resilient Teams in Turbulent Times. Before we go to the last question, Christine, uh, may I ask you to tell listeners where they can find out more about your book, your work, your workshops, where they can contact you? Yes, yes. So um, if you go to Smart tribesinstitute.com smart and I know there are two T's smart tribes plural institute.com um, I recommend everybody goes over to the uh, uh, assessments and takes the emotional agility assessment emotional resilience assessment I think it's really important for us to have that level of awareness so I'm hoping you guys will all be able to take that it takes gosh, you know, five minutes or so, but it really uh, raises your awareness. And you'll see that under the resources menu. So smarttribesinstitute.com, go over to the resources menu, click on assessments, and you'll see our different types of assessments. And you'll find that, that's, that you can benefit a great deal from those lovely assessments and start to really understand yourself. Perfect. Excellent. Now, coming to the last question, which is always the same here. If I could ask you, Christine, to give one advice to a CEO who is just realizing that something needs to change in the organization, where should they start? Yeah. Gosh, I would say become aware of what you're feeling. Use the emotion wheel. Become um, able to shift your emotional state. Use maneuvers of consciousness. And then help others become aware of how they feel and choose their emotional state as well. And when we do this, we foster the experience of safety, belonging, and mattering, which we didn't get to today, but maybe in the future. It's a super important emotional experience. We all want safety, belonging, and mattering at work and in life. And um, don't resist the people that don't want to grow. It's okay. Not everybody's going to want to grow. You know, I've learned this the hard way. And it's like, why wouldn't somebody want to grow? It's so awesome. They don't. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very, it can be, I guess, a very disappointing feeling, you know, when, when you experience that, that people resist their own happiness by growing, but you just cannot make them. You can't, you can invite them. Think of it as an invitation, right? You can invite them and then they can RSVP or not. And if they don't match your cultural values, then it's time for them to leave your company, you know? Great. Fantastic advice. Really, really great insight. Thank you so much, Christine Comerford, for joining me on the podcast today. And I wish you really the best of success with your future work. Thank you so much, Agnes. Thank you, everybody.